Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Bible Study Ministry Podcast. Hope you all are having a wonderful day, and I hope that you realize the blessings that you have in the Lord. And I always pray that if you, if you don't feel like you're blessed, that you will realize that you are. And I pray that he will show you the ways in which you are blessed, because you are. You are blessed. Uh, today... You know, recently I've uh, felt led to go back and study uh, a passage from the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, and we will read from verses 4 through 9 of that chapter today. Uh, And honestly, this one passage of the word is probably the most controversial and uh, uh, fear-inspiring passages in the whole Bible, and we will see why. And, you know, there are many different views on this passage. Um, the most prominent two groups of views uh, have to deal really with whether or not uh, it's talking about Christians who have lost their salvation. And, uh, again, those are the two primary uh, groups of uh, group of views. And we will look at, I believe, three or maybe four of those uh, different views. And uh, so we will see, or hopefully we will come to a conclusion of which view best represents um, the passage. And later on, I'm going to kind of give y'all an insight into my own personal experience with this passage. And... I hope that by the time this episode is done, that uh, anybody who is afraid of this passage, you know, you know, anybody who has an improper amount of fear or misunderstanding about this passage, I hope that that will be taken care of. So we will now read from the uh, the passage here, starting off in verse four. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end it will be burned. Verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. So now we're going to go on to the first view that we will discuss uh, and the first view is one that deals with the idea that these are Christians who were true Christians and they have rejected Christ and now they are uh, lost. They are not Christians anymore. And the primary reasoning for this view is is that the is is because of the term fall away and of it being impossible to renew them to repentance. And we will look at these uh, 
well, excuse me, in particular, we will look at the words or the phrase fall away. And I believe that according to this view, especially that uh, if somebody were to fall away from Christ, you know, reject Christ and be lost, they can never be saved again. I believe that is what this view, or a lot of people who hold this view uh, believe. Um, I personally feel that the context does not support this view. Um, you know, we look at the illustration uh, of the two fields, you know, the one field that brings forth good things, fruits and herbs, and the other that brings forth thorns and thistles. Uh, take a great look, uh, take special notice of the wording here. The ground that grows thorns and thistles is nigh into cursing, you know, if a person were damned and irretrievably lost, they wouldn't be nigh into cursing. They would already be cursed because they are, in effect, already damned. Okay? If you have no chance at salvation whatsoever, you are cursed. Period. Um, a second view, popular, is that these are not true Christians who turn away from what they had learned, you know, it's kind of like somebody growing up in church, knowing the full truth of the word and then uh, never having accepted it, uh, decided to go go off and do their own thing. And so it's like once they've reached that level of understanding and have rejected it, they can't, uh, they can't be saved. I guess that would be an example of a uh, someone committing the unpardonable sin. You know, which is the sin, it's a sin of unbelief, and it's a hardening of, it's a hardened, it's the rejection of Christ that has gone so far that their heart is, so it's hardened to the point where they can't, uh, uh, they can't ever accept Christ, and so for them it is, it is impossible to repent. And I believe also that this view is not correct because of the many descriptions that we are given of these of these people here. Only Christians can be said to fulfill these attributes. Only Christians can. You know, we have tasted salvation. We have experienced the good things of God. Excuse me. We have experienced the good things of God and we've tasted of the powers of the world to come. Lost people don't have this, okay? Lost people do not have this. And if you go back and read um, towards the end of chapter 5, I believe, it, I believe it is, you will see that the author is getting on to the people he's writing to because he says that they need milk when they should be eating meat. A dead person doesn't need milk. They need life. So he is talking to the Christians here. He's talking to the Christians. These are true Christians. These are true Christians. Now, a third view is one that uh, this is a kind of a, a hypothetical case. You know, it's like a, a warning that is being given to people. Um, he's saying that if you were to fall away, you can't come back. So uh, some people feel like this might be something that was put in there to encourage people to remain in Christ, you know, to remain saved. But 
that doesn't really seem to fit the context either, in my opinion. So, uh, the next view, and the one that I personally find the most acceptable, based on the uh, context here, uh, these are true Christians, and it is a case where somebody, or excuse me, where this group of people, this group of Christians is being warned about their productivity. You know, you see the two fields, the one field that grows the good things and the one that grows the bad. These people have fallen in the sense that they are overcome, they are overgrown with thorns and thistles. They are, they are in danger, or, or at least they are in danger of that. Um, the word parapipto, which is the word that is um, translated as fallen away, this word, you know, does not uh, primarily mean uh, apostasy. From what I've seen in the le- in all the lexicons that I that I have uh, uh, researched, there is another Greek word which is for apostasy, and that is apostasia. But for some reason, that word is not used here, and I believe there's a very good reason for that. Parapipto, I believe, when you look at the context of this passage here, tells us that it is like. Uh, it's like someone stumbling or falling down. And you could even say that they have fallen away. They've fallen away from their fellowship with the Lord. And once they get to the point to where uh, there's so much thorns and thistles, you know, over overrunning their field and stuff, it's like it is impossible for them to be renewed because their life has it's so much of it's so much of their life is putting Christ to shame. It's it's shaming Christ, and so what happens is is that that person is going to reach a point in their life to where uh, it's burned. The Lord wants to see that field be productive, and so He will take this stuff out of that person's life that is keeping them from being fully productive. And it's you know. And if that person doesn't um, change that, then it's that ground is going to be rejected. The uh, the word that comes to my mind for rejected, uh, which you can also say disqualified, would be uh, adelkamos, which the word which the apostle Paul used. I think it was in First Corinthians nine twenty seven. And so he is imploring the people here to pay attention to what they're doing. He wants them to grow and to mature so that they won't have the thorns and thistles problem. So that they can be productive. Again, you know, I'm I'm telling you, the word parapipto is, you know, to have a good understanding of this word is very important to understanding uh, the meaning of this passage is very important. And also, if you look at uh, verses 7 through 9, I believe you will see that this view is the correct one because of the fact that in verse 9, for one thing, it tells you, it, he tells them, 
We are convinced better things of you, of things that accompany salvation. Well, what accompanies salvation? I think the the first thing that comes to my mind is sanctification. You know, you are sanctified. You know, you were sanctified, and the Lord wants you to continue being sanctified. He wants you to progressively be sanctified, to be more, to be made more like Him. That's part of the requirement. You know, it's it's something that He expects of us as Christians. He doesn't want us to just be saved and be done with it. He wants us to be saved and to grow and to be more powerful, to be stronger, to be more mature in our faith. And verses 7 through 8 also support this, as I've said, because um, a person person who is damned irretrievably and going to hell, they're not nigh to being cursed. They're already cursed. It says the ground is nigh into cursing. It doesn't say that it is cursed. It says it's nigh into cursing, which means it's almost useless. And it can't be changed until all of that, those thorns and thistles are removed. And, you know, I was thinking about this last night, and I just decided that, you know, of course, I wanted to tell you all uh, my story with this passage uh, I got saved when I was about, you know, when I was 15 and a half years old. Um, and I think when I was about 18, uh, I had felt like the Lord wanted me to go talk to somebody, uh, one of my neighbors who I didn't even know. And to be blunt, I let fear control me. You know, I, I never went over there and uh, I didn't anticipate it, but I wound up doing kind of what Peter did. Um I had no anticipation or plans of doing it. It just happened. And I felt like it was, uh, I felt like I had told the Lord I quit. Like I didn't want to do this anymore. And, you know, the spirit quit, uh, quit trying to urge me to go and talk to these people. And so when that happened, I was horrified. You know, and then when I came across this passage, I got absolutely terrified. And it really scared me, you know. I, I got into, like, a depression. You know, my behavior and personality kind of changed. And people were like, well, what's wrong with him, you know. Um, about a month after this, you know, I started noticing that uh, I went to sleep one night. And uh, I was uh, standing outside my grandparents. You know, I was standing in their backyard, by their house, by their back porch, and uh, it was night, and all of a sudden, it's like I could tell that a like a twister had sat down close by, and just right as I was, just right about as I was going to be sucked up into the storm, you know, somebody reached out from inside the house and grabbed me by the hand and pulled me inside, you know, and so I woke up, I'm like, well, Lord, was that you? I think that was you. You're trying to tell me something, that I'm okay, and Stuff like this kind of continued for a little while, and then finally, I think about a year later or so, you know, uh, I was by myself at home, and I was laying down on the bed, you know, on my stomach, and facing the wrong end of the bed, and I just, I was thinking about all this stuff, and I was worrying, you know, and that's, from what I remember, it was kind of like I had my hands kind of clasped together like I was in the praying position. And uh, all of a sudden, I just saw myself. I was being uh, 
floated up into the air. I was flipped over and rotated around. And the spirit, I just felt the spirit fill me from head to toe. And the only word that I can get out of my mouth was Jesus. I kept on saying it, Jesus, Jesus. And he carried me slowly backwards. And as soon as my head touched the pillow, I woke up. And there I was, just exactly as I had wound up in my vision. That has always stuck with me to this day. And that's something I'll never forget, you know. Uh, at some point, years later, you know, I came across a uh, sermon that uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee had done about this passage, and when I heard it, everything just seemed to click. You know, I was, I'm like, okay, Lord, so I finally understand this passage, you know, and I went, really went and studied it for myself, and I came to the same conclusions that he did, which is the one that I just talked about here. You know, the Lord does not want his word to unduly frighten and scare people. You know, this could possibly be something that happens when the enemy has a foothold or over somebody or he's trying to put something on you to keep you down. You know, the Lord doesn't want that. He wants you to understand his word. You know, he will have you understand it when he's ready for you to. It might take years sometimes, but he will under he will lead you to what you need to understand his word. And this passage, from what I have seen and what you may have seen, has probably more than any other passage in the Bible caused a lot of fear and confusion uh, amongst Christians over the years, you know, over the centuries. And the sad thing is, that's not what the Lord wanted. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want, excuse me, he doesn't want fear and confusion. He wants clarity and truth. But sometimes but sometimes it, it takes us a long time to understand that truth. And that's the case with a lot of people in this, with, in this passage here. So again, you know, we can, I think we conclude that the word parapipto, in this case, does not mean an apostasy like a uh, uh, rejection of Christ, of a loss of salvation or a forfeit of salvation. What it's talking about is a true is true Christians who have slipped and they have gotten into sin, whatever kind of sin, you know, uh, or it might even be people trying to mix the law up with what you know, trying to mix the law in with grace. You know, that might also have something to do with it. He wants you to understand that this passage should not unduly uh, trouble you. That's not something that he wants. He doesn't want fear and trouble for you. What he wants is for you to understand and to grow. And remember, context is always important when you're trying to understand and realize the truth of God's word. Context, context, context. And also timing. And that's God's timing. You know, you have to pray for understanding. He might not give it to you the next day or even next week or next month, but you pray for understanding and it will come, and it will come in his time. So I want to close this. Uh, with a prayer, dear Lord, you know, if there's anybody 
listening to this, or even if they know somebody who is having this problem, you know, if there's people who are troubled about this passage or even others, uh, I pray that they will ask you for wisdom and I pray that they will receive it in your time. I pray that they will receive it in your time. You know, um, I pray that if anybody is having some thorns and thistles in their lives, I pray, Lord, that that they will see that it needs to go. And if there's anybody listening who is not saved, um, you know, I did kind of touch on this, on this subject in this podcast today uh, about people being lost and being damned, you know. I pray that they won't pass this chance up to be saved so that they, you know, so that they won't reach a point where they can't be saved. Um, You want people to have eternal life, and that is what, you know, that is what you offer us. So I pray that if anybody here is listening who is lost, uh, I pray that they would accept Christ today. Dear Lord and Father, it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.